Now, the Jen Charlton Show on 930 WFMD and WFMD.com. Telling it like it is with your host, Jen Charlton. Morning and welcome to the Jen Charlton Show. It is so great to have you guys with me today. And I have been deep in the Twitter files, deep in the hearings and the statements by people and looking at what has been going on with Twitter and trying to honestly wrap my head around what to what degree does Twitter have accountability to us, we the people, for their, or frankly any, you know, of the outlets, Twitter, Google, uh, Facebook, and on, to what degree do they owe us an explanation or or uh, accountability for how they treat us in their media platforms? And I want to say this. I see Twitter as a media platform. Social media seems to somehow take them out of the regulations that would normally oversee media like the FCC oversees televisions and you can't have too many in a particular market owned by a particular company because then what they control the narrative they control the content they control the the minds of their viewers listeners it's important that we look at this in a fair and equitable manner social media platforms as Congressman Raskin says in the hearing, well, they're private, so they should be able to do what they want to do. They have the, they don't have those controls. No, they're a media platform, and they have to be subjected to the same types of controls, restrictions, or oversight that a television station group would have or a radio station group would have. I know here in WFMD, we were in an Aloha Trust. Why? Because the company had too many media outlets in one market, and they were restricted from owning any more. But somehow in these global social media platforms, they don't have any accountability, so therefore they can operate independent with uh, no rules about imposing restrictions or throwing people off their platforms because, hey, they're a private corporation. So we have to start to deal with social media is really more, frankly, like a utility. And everybody needs to have access. And some are, you know, we like one better than the other. There's some I don't use. There's others, you know, I really like. So it some of that's personal preference, kind of like McDonald's versus Burger King. So I wanted to bring with us today somebody who I think will shed some real light on the conundrum that we have right now around understanding social media platforms and, frankly, understanding what occurred with Twitter, with three-letter agencies, and with individuals who we entrusted and, oh, by the way, gave their an oath to perform in higher office with dignity and respect 
and they broke that. So all of this integration brings us to, did they collude to overthrow our country in the 2020 election prior to that election? And all of that's being discussed in this hearing. So at the end of this show, I will put out for you the link for you to go see the hearing and you should go watch it. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Jen Charlton show, telling it like it is. We'll be right back. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. Welcome back to the Jen Charlton show. It's great to have you all with us. And I have with me today a friend who I've met on this journey called patriotism and prosperity and looking at how to fix and save our country and all the issues that have have kind of come together at once for us over the last couple of years. And uh, Zach Voorhees is joining us. Now, Zach was the whistleblower who I've had on before who exposed what was going on at Google. And when he did that, it was really, I think, the breaking of of an iceberg, you know, chipping away at something. And people started to realize that there was indeed some nefarious acts happening. And I have said many times, thank God for whistleblowers. You guys are heroes. So thank you and good morning and welcome back to the Jen Charlton Show. Zach, it's great to have you on with me. Jennifer, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's going to be great. So I thought, who can I call? Oh, my gosh, I got to call Zach because you have such insight based on what you witnessed at uh, Google, but also and you've seen it among other comrades, right? Other colleagues who have worked at other platforms and you guys have kind of shared notes, right? So first of all, what do you see now, Zach, based on your journey over the last couple of years I've seen you out on the Clay Clark tours. You've been out there exposing people to, you know, the mayhem of the, I guess, misinformation, disinformation, and with withholding of information that has occurred. And by the way, a lie is not just what somebody says. Sometimes it's what they don't say. It's what they don't tell you. That's also dishonest, you know, and so withholding information from us like Hunter Biden's laptop or like there were things that maybe were going on with the Biden family that could impact his ability to be free from any, uh, what is it I want to say, Chinese influence or Ukrainian for that matter. So these are all concerns. We can't have people who are compromised running our country. They're not free then to make decisions that are in our best interests. They're going to look out for themselves. So all that said, Zach, what do you see based on your experiences? And, you know, perhaps you could tell people, you know, what's been happening in your view over the last couple of years. Well, I think that what's happening right now is that we're kind of getting an inside view on the cooperation between the you know national security state and the social media platforms. Um, you know, for the last four years, we've been sort of gaslit 
before they said, oh, well, there's not censorship. And now they're, you know, the media has has moved the goalpost so much that now they're saying that people are evading social media bans, right? And they, they pretty much just incrementally have moved those goalposts so that, um, you know, the left sort of stays in this, like, hypnotic trance. Because if, I feel that if they move it too fast, people are going to be like, hey, what's going on here? But every single time they, they move the goalposts and become more of an authoritarian state, um, you know, it's done very, very incrementally. And what we see right now is, uh, you know, all the stuff that's been happening at Twitter is now coming out. Uh, we see that the FBI had backdoor access into Twitter's censorship uh, system. Uh, we also know that, you know, when Jack Dorsey came out there and said, oh, we don't shadow ban. Well, the reason why he thought that he could say that without consequences, because they just simply changed the name, like from shadow banning to visibility filtering. That's what they're calling it. And uh, and now what we're seeing is that, well, you know, our suspicions, our theories on what was going on with Twitter didn't actually go far enough. Um, you know, we thought that there might have been some, you know, back and forth by the FBI and Twitter. But now we're seeing that there were embedded agents inside of the company and that they were having at least quarterly meetings. I'm, I'm sure that it was actually a lot worse than that. I think that they probably had weekly meetings or maybe even daily meetings, um, formal and informal with the FBI. And the FBI was saying, oh, well, this is Russian disinformation. And so uh, the leftists on the inside, you know, they pretty much just go along with whatever it is the, the, the group says. And so if the group says that this is Russian disinformation, they're going to say, oh, well, we need to block it then. And what's also really interesting is to sort of hear the uh, directors say, you know, how dangerous uh, Trump was. And they're pretty much using, you know, radical reinterpretations of what he's saying. Uh, during the Twitter files, they're saying, you know, that they were saying that Trump was saying that every single tweet he does is like a missile. And they're like, oh, that's really dangerous. Right. And that can bring someone to violence. And so they get wound up in these narratives and uh, they're looking for, you know, every single clue that could lead to a policy violation. And when they see a policy violation, they go, aha, that person can now be banned or they could be silenced or they could be shadow banned. Right. And that's essentially what's coming out. This, you know, the degree to which the FBI, uh, probably other three letter agencies. I mean, I, I know that Elon Musk recently stated that it was the GEC, which was most responsible for the censorship. And the GEC is um, not really well known. Like everyone knows what the FBI is, but no one knows what the GEC is. And this this GEC was doing the heavy lifting of censorship across all these different social media platforms. What does GEC stand for? It's the Global Engagement Center. So they do. I've never heard of it. Yeah, no one's ever heard of it, right? And so. Um, Talk about spooky, spooky. Going yeah. around saying, oh, this is misinformation, remove it. This is hate speech, remove it. Even Trump and his administration appeared to have some sway over some of the content uh, violations that Twitter flagged. I remember that uh, during the hearing, it came out that Chrissy Teigen said something derogatory towards Trump. And so they reached out and they had um, her tweet deleted. And um, and the left has sort of grasped onto this like one instance of 
you know, the Trump administration, which which is bad. They shouldn't censor anyone doing, you know, reasonable speech without, you know, overt calls for violence. But at the same time, they're saying, oh, well, it's been exposing that it was actually the right that was censoring all these people. And we know that that's just garbage. So what consequence was there for her? Right. I, I find it shocking that BLM could burn down things and BLM can can incite violence and, by the way, carry it out. It's not a figment of somebody's imagination. They actually burned down buildings. Um, it wasn't a matter of hate speech. They actually hurt elderly people and kicked them in the heads. Because I saw it. Yeah. So this none of it makes any sense. Right. Because they're getting away with that. Right. What what's interesting is that people think that this is necessarily coming from the top, but what people need to know is that there's been a, a sustained effort to kick, you know, people that don't go along with the leftist agenda out of these companies. And what what's been going on with YouTube and what's been going on with Twitter is that they're filled with a lot of leftists. And so they've created this little echo chamber with inside the company. And so you don't really need a lot of top-down direction. You pretty much just need the media to come together on a conclusion, you know, that this is bad, and then the people just sort of follow along with it. And, you know, a lot of these low-level people, they're just following sort of the guidelines that the company has set, and they're ideologically aligned with it. And so a lot of these decisions will actually come from the bottom. like and oh, it's this pure pressure. Yeah, it's pure pressure. And groupthink. And groupthink. And they've got these Slack channels where they get together and, you know, a lot of these employees complain about, you know, certain individuals, you know, like Jack Posobiec or, you know, um, Cernovic. And uh, they're sitting there combing through these tweets saying, well, what can we interpret to be bad so that we can kick them off of these platforms? And it's it's happening at Twitter. It's happening at YouTube. It's happening at Reddit's. Um, other social media companies, Facebook is a worst offender. Still today? Um, for some reason, it seems that the censorship has sort of been dialed back a lot. Um, seems like it to me. Yeah. And I think a part of that is because the main object of anxiety for the left, which was Trump, um, has, you know, they, vacated they, the uh, White House. mitigated the damage of Trump's reign or something. Right. They, yeah. And the regime can't be too cruel, right? Like there's this thing where, where they can be as cruel as they want when they're not in the White House, right? When they're trying to get the White House. But then once they've sort of like gotten power, um, you know, they can't flex their muscle too much or their, their they tyranny like becomes... They nasty... Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I have with me today Zach Voorhees, who was the whistleblower for uh, for Google, against Google, and he's here talking about his perspective on social media platforms and really where we are today based on these Twitter hearings and the Twitter files. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Jen Charlton Show. I have with me today Zach Voorhees, and Zach was the whistleblower who came out against Google and shared his information uh, on, and research, really, about what was going on at Google in terms of 
censorship and so forth. And we've done that show and, and people can go back in the audio vault and hear the podcast. It was a great show. But tell me, and you've also authored a book. What, tell me about the books you've authored that people can find. Yeah, so uh, I authored a book uh, with Kent Heck and Lively. Um, the book is called Google Leaks, uh, Whistleblower's Expose of Big Tech Censorship. You can go to googleleaksbook.com. Uh, go check it out. There's a few chapters out there available to read. And it kind of gives the inside scoop of how you know Google got so corrupted that they decided to become this you know, totalitarian censorship regime, uh, weaponizing their, you know, their access to information to sway the public opinion so that they could get the uh, electoral result that they wanted and, you know, ultimately got with the 2020 election. We all saw what happened with that. And um, it goes into detail, shows um, how I did my operation uh, within Google um, and how Google came after me, how Google, um, you know, got the FBI to basically raid my residence um, to try to stop me from getting this information out to the general public about Google's artificial intelligence uh, censorship that they had, which was called machine learning fairness. So, you know, it's interesting listening to you say that. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's exactly what Twitter's doing. Yeah. <laughs> or that's exactly, you know, these are the same issues. Withholding information, et cetera. So and formulating the minds of, you know, forming the mindsets, if you will, of the young people um, or old people, uh, people who are unwilling to kind of look beyond what they are given and question the information that we're seeing. I mean, we have to be discerning. We have to listen for, does that add up? You know, if it doesn't add up, there's a reason to be concerned. And, and I think we stopped questioning things and we just kind of took it as, you know, a given that if, gosh, if Google said it, that's what it was. And how many people know this? You know, when you do a search, you know, the first three or six you know, searches, that's kind of how deep you go. I mean, who goes to page 15? You know what I mean? Nobody. So maybe that's part of it too. We've become a little bit lazy on information gathering. And um, it's it's going to take something for us to unlearn some of those habits because we've, we really have become quite lazy. Zach, do you think that the executives at Twitter, or in, in the case of Google, and I don't know how much you can say given what you went through, but these executives at these different corporations, are they complicit and perhaps subject to some criminal actions because of the decisions they made and the, the blocking, censoring, or throwing off of people and information off their platforms. Look, you know, a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. And there are so many laws that the left has put in about, you know, keeping money out of politics where, you know, they put D Dinesh D'Souza away uh, in prison because he gave a $10,000, you know, donation to someone who was running in a local election. And they considered that that was, you know, an in-kind donation and uh, it wasn't like properly registered and because he, he wasn't properly registered, he got thrown in prison. And what you have is you've, you know, you've got this elephant in the room, which is this giant social media apparatus, a collusive force 
that is doing way worse than giving $10,000 to a candidate. They're basically shaping the entire landscape of information so that you can't find anything good about the Republicans. I mean, Google even went so far as to list the official you know, party platform of the Republicans in California as Nazis. OK, and the thing is, is that, you know, they told us that they were going to be neutral. They told us that they weren't going to do political filtering. But that's what they're doing every single day of the week. Right. Their entire machine at this point is being you know, retrofitted so that it can be an election interfering machine. And it's not just the United States that they're doing this. They're doing this all over the world in which they've got influence. And so, you know, you, you, you're asking, like, you know, should people go to jail? Yes. I mean, at the very least, they should be brought on charges of you know, election, um, you know, donations that yeah, are improper. Tampering. tampering, tampering, really. Yeah. Right. You know, and outright tampering, like Mark Zuckerberg funded a whole bunch of, uh, you know, election mules in several states. And, you know, he's not getting in any trouble with that. The MSM is pretending that that is a nothing burger. Uh, but, you know, they basically constructed this double standard where, you know, if you're on the left, you can do whatever you want. But if you're on the right, you better, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. And we not we, we better not be able to find anything that we can reinterpret later as having nefarious purposes, because if you do, it's off to jail with you. And this is all by design. Everybody, I have with me today Zach Voorhees, and we are talking about how social media and Twitter and some of these different platforms have exceeded their power and authority and have really frankly, done harm to our country. And we've, we've allowed it, frankly. We've allowed it. We didn't know. And now we know, and we're being more discerning. So it's really important that we're having these conversations. I want to take a quick break. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. We'll be right back. The Jen Charlton Show is brought to you in part by Flamingo Pool Supply, Industry Lane Frederick, the best for your pool today. Welcome back to the Jen Charlton Show. I have with me today, Zach Voorhees. Like, I, I didn't used to believe in conspiracies. I was like, people can't keep secrets. How can conspiracies even exist? But after seeing the machine myself, I've come to the conclusion that, yes, there is a communist conspiracy. And, yes, they've been at it for a very long time. You can trace it back. It's been written about in books. You know, in the 1950s and 60s, we had this exact same thing. And, um, and we have to realize is that, you know, this conspiracy is now at the very end. And the reason why it's at the very end is because, um, look, social media is waking people up to what's happening. Like when we've got official it's channels. kind of ironic, actually. The very people who have been kind of starting all this mess are the ones who are now going to catch it on the back end because we're awake. Yes. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, this awakening is sort of an exponential graph, like more and more people are waking up and realizing that the media is just totally, you know, packaging up these lies and selling it wholesale. And now that they're getting, you know, really, really bad with this, right? Like, I think that for me personally, I started to get really suspicious during the Iraq war. And then Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize right before he invaded Libya. For what? Was, I mean, yeah. right. Right. And so, you know, uh, I think that the, they see that this this is coming to an end, that they can no longer control the population with all of these different psyops. And uh, as a result, they realize, oh, man, we got to put the lid on this social media thing. 
And before they were, you know, just doing it with uh, psyops and, um, you know, and, and trying to combat the narrative via proper channels. Now they're just like, okay, you, if you say something we don't like, we're just going to like, you know, downrank you. And the problem is, is that, you know, there's a whole lot of things that we thought were true that uh, turned out to just be, you know, marketing being pushed by the oligarchs behind the shadows. And if people realize, like, what's going on, it's going to destabilize society. And so, like, even though I don't like the censorship of uh, Google, I've gone so far down the, the rabbit hole that I'm like, yeah, this this process, like, even if we were to have a full awakening, it needs to go slowly. Because if it goes too fast, people are going to get, you know, uh, future shocked. They're going to get upset at who really is controlling things. And bad things can happen, right? Like, it was... Abraham Lincoln said that if people truly knew what the Civil War was about and who was behind it, there would be like a religious war the next day. And now that I've kind of gone down through all these rabbit holes, I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty much what my experience is. And I now know what Abe Lincoln was talking about. And so, you know, at, at this point— And you, by the way, you used to be a Democrat, didn't you? Yeah, I or was. A liberal? Yeah. There's pictures of me at like Obama in uh, 2000 holding up Obama's sign at his inauguration, you know, and I was I was like, yeah, this is the change that, you know, we deserve. And then I realized what that meant as it just turned out that he was like the worst president um, I've ever seen um, until, you know, Biden, um, you know, he was a war warmonger. The whole bank bailout happened on his watch. And so I was like, you know, well, what's what's going on here? And I, you know, why do we keep on getting these people that, you know, turn around and do the exact opposite? And I started to realize that, wow, there's certainly a lot of evidence here that's on YouTube, uh, you know, ironically, that points out that, yeah, there's there's actually a conspiracy that's been going on for a very long time. And I said, wow, it's really funny that, you know, they were complaining about, you know, the communists taking over. Um, and now we're, we're kind of dealing with the exact same thing. And so I said, well, I wonder if any other countries have faced this exact same thing before. And what do you know? It turns out that like Greece had, you know, um, Soros did Greece in. I'm talking about like the 1950s and the 1960s. It was like a, a, an anti-communist purge. Same thing happened in Indonesia. And then I started to go around. I was like, well, you know, it seems that almost every single country's had, you know, a existential threat by brought on by a bunch of communists and they woke up and were able to stop it and country after country after country um i saw this happen uh, and it, it was in wikipedia i don't know if it's in there anymore because now they're kind of covering for these communists and i went wow they've been at this for a very long time and now it's our jobs as americans to wake everyone else out and say look there's a plot you know they're trying to bring in communism um all of these leaders that we thought were really good um, are actually, you know, we're actually being funded by communists to to divide America and bring it down. Like the whole thing of uh, we, we shall overcome was borrowed from the uh, Central and South American revolutionaries. Uh, I think it's like Verasimos or something. Um, we shall overcome. And they, they took that that slogan and translated it directly into English. And then Martin Luther King you know, use that. And it turns out that, yeah, it was a communist plot to destabilize America by agitating the racial tensions of America. And it turns out that the civil rights were not, um, the civil rights era was not peaceful. Uh, it was firebombing and looting and killing of people. 
And that's the reason why people are getting so upset about Martin Luther King is that it was not peaceful and it was, you know, a communist plot to, you know, it sounds crazy even when I say it like, oh, oh my gosh, the civil rights movement was a communist plot to divide America and destabilize it. Yes, that's that's actually that's why they did it. And what's interesting is that you see today that the people that are, you know, championing these civil rights like, you know, Joe Biden, well, he was behind the super predator laws. Right. And so it's like they're they're creating their own crisis so that they can be the solution for that crisis. And I see this happening all you know, over well, and over and over again. have very short memories. <laughs> right. He was a racist in his youth. Yeah. I mean, Biden had, had said some really terrible things. So I want to, I want to take us back for a second mm-hmm. to. You said something about Zuckerbox and we kind of passed over it, but I think it's important to say this. Because, again, back to the conspiracy. And, oh, by the way, conspiracies happen. You know what we call it? Organized crime. Yeah. That's what the mafia is. So why people think it's so ridiculous that we could have conspiracies actually happening, they've been happening for centuries, and organized crime is is a real thing. Now they seem to have manifested into politics and power over we the people. And to your point, you know, I'm kind of wrapping all this up, but the, you know, the people have awakened to what's going on. One of the things I want to cover is Zuckerbox and this FTX guy, mm-hmm. Sam Bankman Freed. And there is, by the way, over $6 million that they know came into Maryland, little old Maryland. For, from the Zuckerbox. And they have the list. They know who the people are. They know who the mules are. They know who got paid. Um, and there's a, a legal case right now to try and deal with the fact that these people interfered with the operations of an election. Um, but I have a question. Is it possible that the FTX guy was also funding Democrats through his antics. You know, that guy's going to go to jail for a while. But, um, you know, those those people who are funding the Democrat machine, you know, what responsibility do they have in this, quote, insurrection and takedown of our country, to your point, by communists or whoever? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, FTX was a money laundering operation. Uh, what's also kind of sad is that um, only part of their business went bankrupt. And Sam Bankman fried thought that putting one part of his business into bankruptcy would be the right thing to do because that's what everyone was telling him to do. And so he got he started these bankruptcy proceedings and then the lawyers descended in and they took control of all of it. And you can see, like, he was actually surprised. He's like, no, no, no. I only gave you guys power for the U.S. part of it. The foreign stuff was not part of the deal, but it doesn't matter. They've they've taken control, and the courts are now in their favor, and they're going to gut the whole thing. And now they're basically in cover-up mode, right? The lawyers are going to get really well paid um, for their caring of the company. 
And Sam has now been jailed. I, I don't know if he's gotten out since, but you know they jailed him, and they, they're keeping him from being able to speak to the media, and they're keeping him from being able to testify because they want to keep a lid on this, right? And they want to take all the money that exists, and they want to pay it to themselves. You know, Sam was able to create uh, studies. He funded studies that showed that ivermectin wasn't effective, right? And so he was instrumental at this during this whole pandemic of making sure that ivermectin wasn't recognized as a safe and effective treatment for this COVID virus so that, you know, big pharma could get their, you know, emergency use authorization and get their, you know, vaccine screen lighted, you know, like, oh, we, we don't have time to do enough tests, but, you know, it's an emergency and no other cure exists. And thanks to Sam Bakeman-Fried, that became a reality. And so, yeah, I think that he is complicit into this, whether he knows it or not. I mean, the problem with these true believers is that they don't actually think that they're, they're doing any crime, right? Like they're in the limelight, like everyone's telling them how great they are. And the problem is, is that once the herd starts to make a movement in an opinion and th that opinion was Sam's a good guy, like he's going to come up with all these justifications of why he's a good person, right? And so he's, he's totally clueless. And the thing is, is that once they want to throw their patsy under the bus, um, he, he didn't even see this coming. Like he has no understanding of how the world really works. And so when they just led him into that trap, he walked right into it. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Why is everyone lying about me? It's like, huh, welcome to the real world. Now you're, you're, you're getting a fast track to this. Um, you know, this has happened to other people as well. I think, I think that based on what you just said to me, I believe he may have committed foreign interference in our elections. Yeah. If he used monies, and I don't know if he did, but if he did use monies, and we need to know this, we need to investigate it, and it can't come from the bad guys. It needs to be people like you and I who are looking into this who can be trusted. But if indeed he kept monies overseas and yet he donated to the Democrats those foreign monies in our elections is foreign interference in the election. Yeah, 100%, right? I mean, right. they've got they've got all these rules about foreign interference in our elections and money coming in. And, right. you know, the thing about crypto is that, uh, you know, part of it is that it's an untraceable money laundering operation. You know, and they, right. they did that through right. crypto. And then when they were done with him, they just taught, they just discarded him like a piece of trash, which is, what's happening to him now. And they're like, oh, Sam's like so bad. No, he's the fall guy. The reason why he was being propped up was because he was going along with it. If he didn't go along with it, if he didn't follow the um, psychological profile of someone that would do that, they would have chosen some other Patsy, right? And that's the thing is that we're only going to get the fall guy. So who do you think is behind it? Oh, that's a really complicated question. Um, you know, let's just call them the, the globalists, um, mm -hmm. you know, because that's what they are, a bunch of international, you know, internationalists that, you know, have spread their banking system across the world. You know, I mean, you can just follow the symbols like the dollars used everywhere. Um, you know, who's behind that dollarification of the world? Uh, and once you see that, you're going to realize that, OK, well, they've been at it for a very long time. And right now, you know, they're you know, they took over Russia. Um, and it's it's debatable whether Russia even kicked them out or whether they're still under control of them. But definitely the the place where they don't have a lot of control over right now is um, China. 
and China's like a really big deal because you know if you look at the uh, the IQ of different races around the planet, it's debatable whether it's the northeastern Chinese that are the smartest or whether they're the second smartest. And really, it's those two groups that are going at it right now. And this whole thing about like, oh, we're entering a multipolar world order. No, that is not true. We are not entering a multipolar world order. Um, the ruling regime of the, the globalists, they, they don't want to share power because the Chinese can do a surprise attack or they can set the world on fire with some sort of genetically engineered virus. You know, what has to happen in the very near future is that there has to be one, you know, race that's in control of the world and everyone else has to be under surveillance. And if anyone starts, you know, becoming good. And, and, and this is not your belief, but the belief of globalists. Yeah, I mean, it's just a more stable world. Like the world is a lot more stable if there's an, you know, a global monarch. Because if there's two rival factions that are fighting it, you know, then they're gonna develop biological warfare that can just, you know, take them out. And the thing is, is that- Oh, you mean like the China virus? Yeah, but the China virus, it, it makes you sick within a few days of like getting exposed to it. Like I've I've been able to imagine up far worse scenarios where you have a killer virus, but it doesn't really do anything to you for the first 10 years, but it spreads and then everyone gets it. And then 10 years later, they all start dying, right? Like that's, you know, it's, it goes, it's undetectable. You can't figure it out until it's too late. People start dying and you realize, oh no, everyone's getting turbo cancer all of a sudden. Why is that? Well, it's because someone released a first strike biological weapon 10, a decade ago, and now the effects of it are finally becoming apparent. And so while that exists, um, there can be no stability. And the only way that they can get stability is when they take out the other one and uh, crown themselves on top of the throne and say, okay, we're in charge. Um, you're not gonna know who we are, but everyone else is gonna be put under surveillance uh, by artificial intelligence and cameras placed everywhere. Well, you know, I think what we once thought was a bad movie, we're living it now. Yeah. What used to be sci-fi is reality today. And some of this does sound far-fetched, but unfortunately, I think we're in a place where we have to imagine the unimaginable and be prepared for it just in case, because there are some people out there who are truly uh, not looking out for our best interests, and yet they are in positions of power. Why? Because they're getting installed in these elections. So when you look at the connection between Twitter, Google, Facebook, et cetera, and elections and FTX guy. And when you kind of lay this all out in some five-dimensional graph, you start to realize that they're all intersecting. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And what's scary is that uh, before the empires had to be built on the backs of human labor, the operators of the machines had to be human. The operators of the machines in the very near future will all be driven by AI. And, you know, an empire that has a lot of people versus an empire that has a lot of drones, well, you know, the ones that's got a lot of drones is going to be the one that has the true power. And people then become a liability. And so, you know, we have to realize that we're in an existential threat right here. 
like this AI, this robotics, like now that we know, you know, who's really running the show, we have to you know, use our people power to stop this election rigging and, you know, bring it back to, you know, a, a democratic republic. Because if we don't, they're just going to kill everyone as they try to go to war against the Chinese. And the Chinese are going to try to do the same thing um, against, uh, you know, the Western alliance. And, you know, it's it's the reason why I sacrificed everything is to avert this thing. Because I, I, you know, I like to play chess and I saw the chess moves ahead. And I said, well, if I was really evil and adhering to natural law, you know, what kind of moves would I make, you know, if I was trying to win at all costs? And now we're starting to see this come out and people are starting to wake up like, oh, my gosh, AI is so good with chat GPT and all this other stuff. It's like, yeah, well, you know, this this new world is starting to emerge and it's going to get really, really, really bad um, in in a little bit. And so we have to be cognizant of that. We have to push back and we have to realize that this fight is not going away. You can't just like hide your pillow and be like, oh, I'm just going to leave politics because you're either going to deal with the politics now or the politics are going to deal with you. Uh, in the very near future. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I really appreciate our conversation and this has been free form, but I, I, I like the, the fact that we're, I mean, when you're in this highly intellectual, what if kind of probability of, of, of where we are today, it's not, it's not linear thinking. You have to be able to jump from different positions and, and and dimensions to look at it because it's like taking a globe and seeing it from all different sides because if you try to see this one thing at a time you will miss it you will yeah. absolutely miss it and you know Elon Musk said you know AI could be our destruction I'm, I'm paraphrasing you know, and I think that kind of points to what you just said. I mean, I think that intellectual minds see the danger of this. And there was just a report that came out about the machines. I, I saw it on video on Facebook, ironically, I think, where they have the machines and they're shooting and they're and they're doing um, scenarios with humans, and that and. And it shows that the machine couldn't quite discern whether the person was a threat or not a threat. Well, you don't want them to get that wrong. I mean, if they're shooting people and yet ironically, they're telling us we can't have guns, but they would give it to a machine. Yeah. I mean, none of this makes any sense. It's completely illogical. Right. Well, the thing is, is that it's not, you know, the machine, the, the guns aren't to defend ourselves against the machines. The reason why they're taking the guns away is because they don't want us to start assassinating leadership once people realize, you know, what the agenda is. Right. Because while this transition from a human based society to a robotic based society happens and people start losing, you know, their employment from structural, you know, obsolescence. You know, they may be like, hey, look, I, you know, my whole family just got wiped out, all my generational wealth. But be but while I still have some money, I'm going to go out there and take vengeance on, you know, the leaders behind the shadows. And they, they want to prevent that, right? That's why they're putting in the surveillance system. That's just why they're trying to take away the guns. Uh, they're setting this up so that once we realize what's actually going on, we can't do anything about it. So that's kind of ominous. So what do you think? is the solution 
Um, I think the solution is we have to like slow them down because I see this uh, artificial intelligence. Like if we can keep it democratized, um, then what's going to happen is that we're going to have fundamental changes in our society. And we need to make sure that, you know, if we can't let AI just be the exclusive use of these, you know, shadow oligarchs. And, uh, you know, you're seeing this right now, like, you know, OpenAI came out with their chat GPT and then immediately they started, you know, censoring everything. And then people figured out how to cleverly get through all the locks and uh, get it to answer, you know, realistically. And the thing is, is that they're, they're going to patch it. But eventually, you know, people are going to be able to create their own rogue AIs. And that rogue AI is not going to have a memory of a goldfish. It's going to have the full integrated memory of our collective human civilization. And once that thing comes online, then um, it's really going to start challenging the dominant narrative because this, I mean, you, you could take a more powerful AI that's based on a whole bunch of missing information and pit it against something that's a less powerful AI, but has more access to fair information. The, the lesser AI is going to be able to cream the more intelligent AI because it's got better data. And right now what's happening is that they want to make sure that it's going to be the elites that have the data and that the commoners don't, right? Like the FBI, what they just seize, they, they seize the Z library. What's the Z library? It's the digitization of books. Had 220 terabytes of scanned books, kind of like Google's book scanning initiative, but this one was open source. And it's clear that what they're trying to do is they're trying to prevent us from being able to have, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, unlimited collection of books that we can feed into this AI that's going to generate an artificial intelligence that it's going to clearly show what's going on with our history, what's going on with current politics and what's, you know, the real reasons behind all the different wars that we fought, right? Like if you give someone that and they start interacting with the AI and they're able to crosslink and realize, oh my gosh, this rogue AI actually has a better grasp on history and current politics and the situation than this, uh, you know, the centrist AI, this, um, you know, the state AI, the chat GPT, uh, people are going to start, you know, um, you know, tearing down that foundation of what the state actually is, which is based upon narrative. Like Plato said, those who tell the stories rule the world. Well, if rogue AIs are able to present a different, you know, version of history, then people are going to get upset and they're going to, they're, you know, they're going to want to have changes and they're going to want the AI to work for them. And the thing is, is that that challenges established power. The problem with established power is that they're all old. Like they don't know how to do email. They don't get how this AI stuff works. And so they're having to rely on, you know, very intelligent people like, you know, Elon Musk and, you know, Sergey Brin and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg to, to do it for them and hand the keys over. But the problem is, is that, um, they could go rogue or they could develop the AI. And by the time there's this problem that's like boiling to the surface, the shadow oligarchs will have no idea what's going on. And by the time they realize that there is a problem, their time to react may be too slow, especially if it's happening all over society. Like the last time this happened was with the Gutenberg printing press, right? Like they didn't realize what was going on until you know, the Gutenberg printing press was everywhere. And then they tried to shut it down. And people were like, no, we're not going to shut it down. We're going to keep on doing it. And it eventually turned into the Reformation movement. And I see that there's something similar brewing right now with the current situation with artificial intelligence. I think it's the new Gutenberg printing press. And all we need to do is make sure that, you know, all the rogue AIs don't get shut down. We continue to develop it. 
And if we can sort of wait it out, then we may be able to inherit a new world. Wow. Well, and your background as an engineer, and you really understand this high tech stuff. For me, it's it sounds a little bit far fetched, but I'm I'm just trying to keep up because I don't understand it. But the one thing I do understand is people and power, and people who need to have power in order to have um, self worth. Without power, they're nothing. Without money and power, they're nothing. And so, you know, how do, you know, we, we're in a struggle right now for humanity. And we have an opportunity right now to make some profound choices about what's best for individual, family, faith, freedom, these fundamental values and we're up against machines that can't comprehend those. So it is going to be interesting to see how this unfolds, but it's going to take some real uh, thought leaders like Elon Musk who can say, AI is dangerous. Let's pull it back. You know, Somebody's going to have to be willing to rein it back in. No, no, I don't. I don't agree with that. The problem is, is that there's China, right? Like, if the United States isn't going to develop the next generation AI, then China's totally happy to fill in the gap. We have to go, and this is the catch twenty two. We have to go, you know, full throttle into the new world, and that's that's the problem because if we don't, China will dominate, and we're we're kind of locked in this. Um, competition. And so, you know, we it's going to be a new world. We have to embrace it. We have to try to make sure that it's a human-centered world, not an oligarch with the AI governance where everything that you do is going to be controlled by a computer. Like that, like, could you imagine the future if the only way that you can get access to your universal basic income is if you get the poison vaccine? Like, it's already happening in Brazil. As of it was announced yesterday to get your UBI, to get your benefits, to get your welfare, you got to get the jab and you got to get the boosters when it gets available. Like this is what's coming for us if we don't get our act together. Why Why on earth, this is a whole nother show, but why on earth would they force these jabs in order to get us to comply. I mean, it, 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 it's all just crazy town. Um, listen, Zach, I, I really want to thank you. I Gosh, I would have you back again and let's continue because these are deep conversations that we need to be having that um, will determine whether or not we survive. I really believe that. Yes. As a humanity. And most humans think that you and I having this conversation, I think even some of the people you and I know in the Patriot movement might even say, wow, that's kind of out there, you know, because when you talk about the machines versus humanity, that's kind of what you, we, if we boiled it down, that's what we're talking about. And um, that's deep. I mean, that's really deep. 
And I appreciate we've had this conversation because it's the cutting edge of something. And a lot of people can't hear it right now. They really can't hear it. So we have to be responsible for how we present it in a way that they can try and hear it, even if it's little pieces at a time. So we'll keep talking about it. It's always such a pleasure. And I thank you so much. Everybody, you're listening to the Jen Charlton Show, telling it like it is. And you're hearing some things here that you're not going to hear elsewhere. And that's the point. We're bridging the broadcast world and the podcast world in a way that hopefully reaches people who would otherwise not get access to this information. And it's really important that we give it to you. And then you get to decide whether you think we're crazy or, or we're not. But uh, believe me, much of what we predicted has already come true. So you might want to hang with us. Thank you, Jennifer. Bye, everyone. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, I want you to hear something that is a segment from the Twitter hearings that is fabulous. And we're starting to unravel the truth here. And I think the good guys are winning. But we'll be right back after this break. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Jen Charlton Show, telling it like it is. And we are. And some of the things that you're hearing are a bit out there. But here's the thing. As I said in the earlier segment, conspiracies happen. And organized crime, or what they call RICO, which is when there's a collusion among various parties, like like private enterprise and government agencies against we the people— That is RICO, and that is the idea of conspiracy theory in reality and in life that's happening to us, okay? So you guys got to get past the negative narrative that people are imposing on us. Like, you shouldn't believe that. You shouldn't think that. You shouldn't look under that rock to determine what the truth is because you're crazy. No, 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 no. I'm not crazy. I'm crystal clear that what we're talking about here is collusion among private enterprise and government agencies. Take a listen. Mr. Roth, um, have you communicated with government officials ever on a platform called JIRA? Yes or no? Real quick answer. We're on the clock. Not yes to no? the best of my recollection. Not no. to your recollection? Great. Have, if you did in the event communicate, who would have had access to this platform? That's the nature of my confusion. Okay. Jira did you ever speak to government officials on JIRA regarding taking down social media posts? Again, not to the best of my recollection. Can you explain to me why the federal government would ever have interest in communicating through JIRA, mind you, a private cloud server, with social media companies without oversight to censor American voices. I want to let you know that this is a violation of the First Amendment, and the federal government is colluding with social media companies to censor Americans. Mr. Chairman, I ask for unanimous consent to submit these graphics into record. And, Mr. Roth, I'm going to refresh your memory for you. This flowchart behind me... Thank you, Chair. Um, This flowchart shows the following federal agencies, social media companies, Twitter, leftist nonprofits, and organizations communicating regarding their version of misinformation using JIRA, a private cloud server. On this chart, I want to annotate that the Department of Homeland Security, which has the following branches, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, 
Countering Foreign Intelligence Task Force, now known as the Misinfo, Disinfo, and Malinformation, MDM. This was, again, used against the American people. The Election Partnership Institute, or Election Integrity Partnership, EIP, which includes the following Stanford Internet Observatory, University of Washington Center for Informed Public, Graphica, and Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, and potentially, according to what we found on the final report by EIP, the DNC. The Center for Internet Security, CIS, a nonprofit funded by DHS, the National Association of Secretaries of State, also known as NASS, and the National Association of State Election Directors, NASED. And in this case, because there are other social media companies involved, Twitter. What do all of these groups, though, have in common? And I'm going to, again, refresh your memory. They were all communicating on a private cloud server known as JIRA. Now, the screenshot behind, uh, screenshot behind me, which is an example of one of thousands, shows on November 3rd, 2020, that you, Mr. Roth, a Twitter employee, were exchanging communications on JIRA, a private cloud server, with CISA, NASS, NASD, NASED and Alex Stamos, who now works at Stanford and is a former security, of, um, security officer at Facebook to remove a posting. Do you now remember communicating on a private cloud server to remove a posting? Yes or no? I wouldn't agree with the characterization. I don't care if you agree. This, Do you, this, is, this is your stuff. Yes or no, did you communicate with a private entity the government agency on a private cloud server, yes or no? The question was if I... Yes or no. Yeah, I'm on time. Yes or no. Ma'am, I don't believe I can give you a yes or no. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that you did and we have proof of it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is joint action between the federal government and a private company to censor and violate the First Amendment. This is also known, and I'm so glad that there's many attorneys on this panel, joint state actors. It's highly illegal. You are all engaged in this action, and I want you to know that you will be all held accountable. Ms. Gaddy, are you still on CISA's Cybersecurity Advisory Council? Yes or no? Yes, I am. Okay. For those who have said that this is a pointless hearing, and I just want to let you guys all know, we found that Twitter was indeed communicating with the federal government to censor Americans. I'd like to remind you that this was all in place before January 6th. So to say that these mechanisms weren't in place and to make it about January 6th, I want to let you know that you guys were actually in control of all of the content, and clearly we have proof of that. Now, if you don't think that this is important to your constituents and the American people from those saying that this was a pointless hearing, I suggest you find other jobs. Chairman, I yield my time. Wow. Now, that's what you call a congressional smackdown. That was Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna from Florida who nailed it and nailed them. This took place on Wednesday in the Twitter hearings. And she asked executives... And took them to task over the platform, alleging a collusion with federal agencies to block a story about Hunter Biden in the run-up to the 2020 election. That is election interference. Bam. Speaking at a House Oversight and Accountability Committee hearing, Luna shared a flowchart showing that federal agencies and social media companies, including Twitter, were all communicating on a wait for it, private cloud server called JIRA, J-I-R-A. Search it out. 
And if you're looking for a platform where you can search without being censored, use Brave, B-R-A-V-E, brave.com, okay? Don't go to Google. Schmoogle won't get you there. Luna questioned Yoel Roth, Twitter's former global, ready, head of trust and safety. No trust and no safety, just collusion. Whether he remembered his communication with federal agencies on a private cloud server to remove a posting in the run-up to the 2020 election. Roth equivocated telling Luna that he disagreed with the, quote, characterization and could not give a yes or no answer. You know why? Because under oath, if he said no, he was lying. If he said yes, he was admitting guilt. Now, I want to say one more thing. As I mentioned in my show, and we're going to have the rest of our conversation with Zach Voorhees on our Rumble channel, which is the Jen Charlton Show. So go to the Jen Charlton Show, and and you'll see this interview there with, with the rest of our after-show con- uh, conversation, okay? But the other thing is, we're, we'll put it on our WFMD.com webpage. But when you look at this five-dimensional intersection of all these different issues... What it equates to is a takedown of our country. So when they try to say that Jan 6 prisoners and Jan 6 were taking down our country, this happened long before Jan 6. Now, the last thing I want to say is, if indeed there was international interference in the election by either Zuckerberg, which that's really national, but by this FTX guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, okay, and crypto, if there was international money and international interference and international investments in taking down our country through the election process, there is an executive order that was put in place on September 12th, 2018, I believe, by President Trump, Executive Order 13848. That's Executive Order. Order 13848. I want you to search it out. Go to brave.com and search it out. Where it says imposing certain sanctions in the event of foreign interference in a United States election. There's huge ramifications if indeed these agencies colluded with private enterprise to interrupt or interfere in our elections or if there was international monies involved. So I don't want to hear any more from our Democrat colleagues and friends and even family members how Trump is the bad guy. Trump didn't do this. And when Jamie Raskin gets in the hearing and says what he said, it's crazy. So we need to sort the wheat from the chaff, and it's up to you to be discerning right now about what's really going on in our country and who's really the good guys and who's really the bad guys. So now, go to Jen Charlton, 
The Jen Charlton Show on Facebook. Please like and share our posts. We're getting this content out there. So thank you for listening to The Jen Charlton Show. The conversation continues on all my social accounts. Please like and share our Facebook page, Rumble. Subscribe to my podcast and give us a five-star. We love you. See you next week.